Hey, this is Jason Hobbs. You have no idea who I am, but you should listen to Gaming BNS with Sean uh, something and Brett. This episode of Gaming and BS sponsored by GameholeCon, a tabletop gaming convention occurring here in Madison in November. Get your ass to GameholeCon. Visit www.gameholecon.com for more information. I'm one of your hosts, Sean. Welcome to Gaming and BS, episode 85. We're talking about counting coup. Yeah, this is Brett. Good to have everyone online again, on board, listening, downloaded, whatever it is you got us at. So hello and welcome. Yeah, welcome. So shall we get into it? We shall. So we got a couple announcements. What's this? We're on Google Play? Is that the deal? We are on Google Play, Brett. Awesome. Google Play. So uh, for the longest time, iTunes has dominated the podcasting directory space. Um. So you, as if you're an Android user, you have to get a podcatcher, and then you have to get the RSS paste it in the podcatcher. Some podcatchers you can search and then it imports the feed into it. Google, oh, I don't know if it was back in November uh, or October. It was quite a while ago. I was mentioning how you could submit podcasts to the Google Play Store and that they were going to have a podcast directory. We did that and it has gone live and there'll be a link in the show notes for those that want to use that for their you want to use Google play as their source of our show. One more media stream in which we are invading or getting a foothold as it were. So that's correct. Good. Yeah. That's good. Yep. Yep. Spreading ourselves around a little bit. Yes. So the other one I've got is um, <clears throat> a while back, Sean, and I had sent a kind of a care package over. Thank you to the boys at misdirected Mark. And, um, this, it was just from Sean. And I had the idea, like, hey, they've been really nice and very gracious to us and very supportive. So, hey, let's do a little something nice for them. Sent them a box, had some goodies in it. And uh, the, the boys over there, uh, Phil, Chris, and Bob, turned around and did the same back to us. It was not, it was not expected. So, it was pretty cool. So, just a quick rundown they sent us an original top secret box set, complete box set. The only thing that's missing is dice. The box is in great shape. The books inside are looking sexy good. This makes me very happy. Got a misdirected Mark six-sider. We've got some encoded design stickers, a magnet or two, and some OSR-style dungeons. The coolest one in it is the uh, Q1, Queen of the Demon Web Pits, by David C. Sutherland III with Gary Gygax. And this one happens to be signed by Mr. David C. Sutherland III, which is pretty freaking cool. And uh, we've got... Slave Lords A4, guys, a really nice copy of uh, Isle of the Ape from the old world of Greyhawk setting, which I am still a Greyhawk fan. And one of the coolest pieces, I completely forgot this book even existed, was these Top Secret Companion that Rasmus Rasmussen wrote that goes in with this. So this is, uh, it was pretty cool. It was very, very nice. So Phil, Chris, and Bob, thank you, gentlemen. I appreciate it. And so does Sean. This is pretty cool. Now we got to fight arm wrestle over who gets the goods. Yes, thank you very much, gentlemen. You didn't have to do that, and we appreciate it uh, very much. Absolutely. No, this is really cool. Yeah, so let's get into Random Encounter. Let's do it. 
Random Encounter, an element of the show where we talk about what we feel, voicemails, emails, comments from social media and our website. We've got a few. we got to catch up. Last week we did not, or the last show we did not field a lot of comments from previous shows. Yeah, we had a heavy so, topic, so we kind of gave, gave a little rest and got into that instead. So, yeah. We want to start off? You start. All right. Email from Corey, supporter of the show. Hi, Brett and Sean, courageous defenders of all that is gaming and BS related, meaning bikes and schnapps. I I can I, I like that. Good old Corey. Hey, <laughs> I like I it. I listened to your inclusion episode this week, and I did find it thought provoking to some degree, and would like to thank you both for covering a touchy subject and potential potentially controversial issues with candor and honesty, with a real exhortation to make others feel welcome to games. Rather than comment on what you already discussed, I'd like to add my two Electrum pieces on one area you really didn't touch upon. Kids. All right. Earlier today, I ran my daughters, ages 9 and 8, my nephews, ages 8 and 6, and my brother, not Dave, we've met, uh, but our middle school, our middle brother, not middle school, middle brother, who hasn't gamed in years. We played 5e D&D and had a blast. All of them wrote backstories, rolled dice, and creatively thought of things they wanted to do in our almost two-hour session. We only had one combat due to all the role-playing. That's pretty awesome for eight, nine, six, six-year-olds to be yeah, role-playing. Yeah, especially they usually want to get in and start smacking stuff, right? Kill a couple of goblins or something. So that's pretty cool. That's right. very fun. Um, so where was I? Oh, uh Role-playing, conversation, tactics, plans, etc. they all had. Ironically, the shortest word count backstory came from my brother. Even the six-year-old, with his mom's help, had a longer backstory. They were, they were all very involved, very immersed, and, of course, like kids, tried to get in all they could while trying to maintain a semblance of orderly conduct and conversation, which was overruled many times by childish enthusiasm. Anybody who's run I, games for kids, can uh, I, I can absolutely... Corey's dead on when you run games for kids, especially at that age, they all are when they're really into it. It's hard to control them sometimes. Anyway, carry on. <laughs> they just have this vision of like overexcited, like kids just going bonkers. Oh yeah. And it's like snack time too. So if you're not careful, like they're all hopped up on sugar and, uh, and everything else. They're like, <laughs> it's like being mobbed by kobolds. Really? It could, it can get ugly anyway. I will say these children, a mix of boys and girls will be the future of our hobby. They are very creative, even if they don't fall into all of our generation's tropes. Check for traps, kill all monsters, etc. And want to role play out situations and search around and conduct plans. They had a blast. We could roll dice when needed. They took prisoner, an orc, and goblin, tried to hire them as paid laborers, as well as try some quite unorthodox methods of spying and attacking. All told... I was happy to encourage creativity and felt that this generation should be nurtured too as potential newcomers for inclusion to the hobby. Most importantly, there wasn't a sense of reining them in to conform to a more adult method of playing. I didn't adhere to a, quote, you can only move your mini five or six squares. No, you can't do this, etc. end quote, approach. I let them describe what they wanted to do and let them see the dice decide it. 
When talking about inclusion, please also recognize this younger generation. They aren't suited to see the mature approach of the topics and situations you raised, for example, abusive, exclusionary, etc., and nor should kids have to experience that when first enjoying the hobby. Very well said. Very, very well said. I let them be kids, have fun, while patiently explaining borderline rules to help them see the parameters of the game. It didn't stifle their creativity, only made them think within those bounds to stretch them as far as they could go. So, while the approach you took to inclusion into the hobby does hit some very mature areas, please don't forget about the young ones whose imagination can even get us curmudgeonly folk to laugh, think, and react. Make it fun for all. They will carry memories and tell their friends about the game. Sometimes kids telling their kids about this cool game they played is better than adults trying to get other adults to play. Isn't that what grew the hobby in the first place? Younger players evangelizing other younger age appropriate friends. What do you find sages think? Corey Wynn, measly supporter of the show. Corey, not measly. Not at all. Never measly. Never, never. I got to say, Corey, that's actually one of the reasons why when I have the opportunity excuse me, to game with my kids and when uh, my young daughter, Ilana, who's going to be eight, says she wants to be the dungeon master, give her an opportunity to do that. When AJ wants to run a game instead of play, um, make sure that he's got a chance to do that. <clears throat> when I work at um, with the Evercon crew or the Evercon, uh, the gaming club at the high school, when I've come up there and, I, and I've run games for those folks, or even when I've run games with my friends and my kids are involved, we let the kids be kids. And if they have some wacky, goofy thing they want to do because they think it'd be fun, one of the worst things, in my opinion, you can do is stifle that creativity and say, well, that's just a bad idea because of X, Y, or Z. You know, Some of this is the only way they're going to learn is through experiencing different things, and they've got to give it a shot. And sometimes they're they're really freaking creative and uh, they're going to do things a little bit different. They're going to be, quote unquote, childish at certain points because, hey, guess what? They're kids and that's okay. And um, just because they're kids doesn't mean they can't enjoy a good plot line, have good uh, have good fun with story and all that stuff. But don't um, don't try to force them into a place where you're doing some adult or perhaps more advanced or in-depth storytelling with the kids or building these great counterpoints and plots and interwoven red herrings and all that stuff. You don't have to get that crazy complicated to have a good time. Don't, don't be all adulting. Exactly. <laughs> Back off <laughs> the adulty, have, man. Well, that's a good to. point. I mean, if you're, and we talked about this in the inclusion episode, right? Is like, if I'm playing and there's a bunch of kids at my table, Brett doesn't have dead babies at the table. That's kind of excessive for kids. Brett watches his mouth when there's little kids at the table. When I ran Evercon last year, there was no fucks, goddamns, and sons of bitches because there's kids at my table. That's just, that's inappropriate, you know? So, and when the kids want to do something and they want to try something, you give them a shot and let them, let them go with it. So I think it's a good idea. Thanks for writing in, Corey. Absolutely, man. I will take the next one. JF emails us and says, hey, guys, fantastic episode on inclusion in gaming and a pretty mature change in tone from the usual banter. It's nice to see you guys can play it serious from time to time because it was clear you meant business. One thing I was surprised you didn't bring up is how gaming grew out of nerd culture. It always surprises me how quickly a lot of gamers forget that gaming was born out of that culture and it was not accepted by the mainstream. For me and for a lot of gamers, we know we weren't the cool kids in the school, but gaming was a thing you could do to feel accepted and protected 
from people who would otherwise criticize you. When I hear about non-inclusiveness in the gaming community, I wonder where the lack of empathy comes from. How did the gaming community forget how alienating it is to be made fun of for being too nerdy and turn around and make fun of other people for being female, gay, transgender, into story games, whatever? Even just spending a few minutes thinking about that might be a good way to start working on the problem. Think another the, iron, the irony. Yeah, the absolute right? irony. Jesus. <laughs> yeah. I found a place that accepts me for who I am. I'll be damned if I accept others. Wait, what? Yeah, well, and I've been ostracized and I've been picked on. I'm going to do the same to other people. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah, it's a horrible cycle that needs to be broken, right? He continues with, I think another aspect that works against inclusion in gaming is the size of the hobby. Gaming is still um, is still a specialty interest. It's a niche market. People who play games aren't uh, are often fiercely loyal. Excuse me, are often fiercely loyal to their favorites. And after being told that their interests and opinions don't matter on so many things, see comments above about alienation in the mainstream. We get into an area where your opinions do matter and everyone else has a similarly strong opinion, people might feel more compelled to defend them, which may lead to more divisions in the gaming community. Again, I really like the theme. Thanks for the episode. Keep up the good work. Well, thank you, sir. I think that was pretty uh, pretty nice there. Yeah, this, no, it, I, says, it says JF, so I'm going to assume I'm going to assume a man there. So my my mistake, just in the spirit of inclusion, I don't. I'm assuming JF is a man. So it is. It is a man. Okay. I know. I know the folks that wrote these, and I just use their initials. Um, because it's an email, it's not on a public forum yep. and I didn't want, you know, some turd ball to the start idea. trolling for whatever reason. Yeah. So I, you know, so if JF wanted to get credit and everything, uh, good on you, but I figured we'll play it safe on these. Fair enough. So I think that is interesting though, is that, and I, we kind of talked, touched on it a bit, <sighs> but the whole nerd culture piece, you know, when you're used to being ostracized, it's kind of. The um, if you grow up in a, in a certain type of environment, then you tend to continue to turn into that type of environment, right? If you have a family that celebrates Christmas, Christmas Eve, and not Christmas Day, that's what you expect as normal. And uh, sometimes it's it's interesting to see people in these little in these subcultures that we have, um, especially one that basically you find a place where you can be included and stuff, and then start excluding others. Sometimes it's fear or whatever, but regardless, it's uh, shit we got to get over. You know, yeah. that's everything needs to go. So, yeah. well, good job, because, man. As a people, we can be flawed. Oh, hell and, yeah. And it's just overcoming those. I mean, not, not, I mean, not as many people are as unflawed as you and I, Sean. <laughs> I, I couldn't even say, I can't say that with a straight face. I can't do that. <laughs> no, but you're, you're dead right. I mean, everybody's like, we, we talked about that. We, we're all going to make mistakes. We're all going to say stupid shit, but the uh, like uh, like JF says, just spending a few minutes thinking about that is sometimes a good way to start working on a problem or working on things that you may or may not be doing right or wrong. Right. Next one's yours, Correct. sir. Yes. MD writes, hey, guys, let me start by saying I agree. I strongly dislike sexism and racism, gaming or otherwise. So most of these, if you haven't caught on or referencing episode 84, where we talked about inclusion in the role playing game hobby. Here's my dilemma. We, we continue. My group consists of various races, genders, sexual preferences, beliefs, and points of view. I had an NMPC barmaid who was totally ditzy and dumb. One of the players was livid, proclaiming that I was being sexist. I have played NPCs of various genders, races, and attributes, negative and positive. I don't wish to offend anyone, but I've had difficulty maintaining a game where every character is flawless 
for fear of accidentally offending someone. Ish. That's, that's a touchy one. Yeah. I I can't wait. To, I'm going to comment on this one, of course. This has also led to villains having to be non-humanoid and non-speaking. Le- least I offend lest lest I offend someone by having an offensive villain. I just want to game with my friends and fellow gamers, regardless of gender, race, or creed, and not have the only flawed characters be white and male. I'm even slightly afraid of sending this email because when trying to find answers before I have been harshly criticized and have even received death threats, one guy at a game, one guy at a game store made a rape joke at a female customer. And I told him that wasn't cool. The woman then yelled at me for presuming she was too weak to fight her own battles. I feel damned if I do damned if I don't here. Any advice P.S. Sorry for the long email and keep up the great work. Happy gaming, hence the initials piece. <clears throat> Damn. Um, that totally freaking blows ass big time, in my opinion. Um, I, so why we took the approach we did in our last show, I felt that it could get into that area of things. Like, you know... Yeah, everyone's exper- everyone has their own experiences and everyone runs into different components, right? And it's very difficult to say, oh, do this magical thing and it will solve every time you run to X, do Y, boom, and everything is fine. There, you've eliminated sexism in your group by following these three simple rules. It, it doesn't work like that. Right. It's not that easy. Right. I think so. I feel. <sighs> Look, inclusion in the game is not the same as the actual game. Now, it can be, right? If you're going to get into some serious topics um, in the game, you got to vet that through the people you're, you're gaming with. Phil and Chris did a good show, really intense on Misdirected Mark. Yes. Went into a lot more detail than we did. Um, and really touched some very fine, sensitive points. Um, so I think I really hate to think that somebody that game masters has to tiptoe around as much as they need in order not to offend somebody. I think there's a difference between being crass and not inclusive, being a dick and being um, sexually intrusive, um, racially, some of those things. Now, I think we're playing D&D. Say we're playing D&D. It's a different game than if you're playing a Civil War era role-playing game. Yes. At at the same time, how you iron that out and talk about social contract and what's acceptable within the game has to be kind of laid out, right? So Brett and I are going to sit down. We're going to play with three other people a Civil War era role-playing game. Now, the Civil War, obviously, uh, during that era in America, was not its greatest of time. (laughs) Racism is rampant. Sexism is rampant. If you're not a white male landowner, you, you I mean, there's shit. There's tons and tons of stuff. Tons of stuff. Some people will say, but we want to play... To historical accuracy. 
that's fine if I got the whole group on board with that. If somebody isn't fine with that, then you're going to have a problem. Yeah. Now, right. The other thing that's interesting to me when I read this, that two pieces really NPC barmaid who's ditzy and dumb. I, if someone gets offended by that, frankly, I don't know what to do. I'm not there. Right. Right. So my first instinct is I, the person who's writing in had the guts to write us. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to assume that they were not trying to be sexist and say all women are ditzy and dumb. That's the only type of barmaids we have. A good way to counterpoint that is have two or three um, serving folk, men, women, whatever, in the in said tavern. One of them is this way. The others are not. You have counterpoints. I've done that type of thing to avoid, to stop myself from always having the same a barmaid or a bartender is always a certain way. Add another one, and then they counterpoint each other, and then you've got different you have different pieces to kind of balance that out. My assumption here is that the person did not do this to be sexist. Um, I wasn't there. Well, I didn't hear it. Let's but, just assume that's the case. Yeah. Let's just assume that they had no malintent. Yep. They were role-playing an NPC that happened to be female, mm-hmm. happened to be a barmaid. <laughs> I mean, I I don't know. I just it's goofy. And some of it comes down to social contract with the group, right? Is that if the group is like, look, I don't like that because any every time I see that this offends me or hurts me. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. You, you may have a group that that's the parameters that they want to operate in. And if that right. is not how you want to play or that it is stifling to you for whatever reason, I mean, you can take anything to a level where your portion of the social contract becomes difficult where you don't feel like you want to game with this group anymore because of whatever reason. And I never look at anybody and say, you know, I, I, how do I do this? So if you say, look, I, if MD were to say, look, I can't, I just can't keep gaming with these guys. It is so calm. Every time I bring up anything, I'm always being hammered as being this. I'm being, I'm being stomped on everything. Every time I turn around, if that's what you're feeling and so on, I think it might be worth a discussion with a group. And if the group is like, no, this is what you're doing is absolutely wrong. You can't run like that. Then maybe you need to stop running for them. You know, well, if it's, if it's instance, hard to deal with. In this instance, says <clears throat> one of the players was livid. One of the players, we don't know how big the group was. I mean, yeah. it could be three. That's true. I mean, three total, right? This person and two others. But if it's a group of four, maybe numbers don't matter, but maybe it's a matter of bringing it up to the group and saying, look, or even aside, right. You know, not, not discussing with that person head on right away, Yeah. but say it's like Brett and I, and Brett has the beef. And I, I say, um, I go to the other players and go, Hey, uh, I know Brett is, he gets, um, he gets offended at some of the things that I pull off and I want to make sure it's not me. Do, do I do that? Am I, is it, is it a trend? Am I doing, am I stepping on people's toes? Is it me? I just want to make sure. Cause if it is, I can change it and adjust. Yeah. If the other players are like, no, I think you're fine. Brett may, maybe it's a conversation then at that point to have with Brett, with the other players to say, Hey, and then you know what it's, you know, may just come down to is that Brett just doesn't want to game with me and the others because of the way we play. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a ton I mean, of things that could go game, behind that. Right? Yeah. There's I mean, a ton of be, things that could be behind it. Yeah. Could have had a super shitty day at work, and this is the thing that threw you over. 
Right. I mean, that's, hard. that's a tough one. That is a tough one. And I get it because I think that is, you know, I think the, the typical middle-aged white guy that is trying to be conscious and aware feels as though they have to walk on eggshells at every turn. Well, you can, and, you can feel like that. You, you, right. you, you can feel like that. It's not required, right? It's not Correct. that you have to be this way. Um, no. But so I guess, so I, I mean, would. It's like opening the door for a woman. Some women get offended at that. Yeah. Because they look at it and go, hey, I'm every woman. I don't need a man to open my open the door. Other women find it just fine. Yeah, I actually open the door for anybody who's close behind me, man, woman, or not. Especially if they got an armload of crap, because that's just polite. But Yeah, I just do it for anybody. So I just, yeah, who gives a shit? Yeah. I, I guess, so if MD's kind of asking for advice here, my thought is that in that particular instance, I think it might be worth a sit down, as Sean said, with either members of the group individually or without that individual who is livid to find out what happened. Um, and it, quite frankly, you could be in a position where you can't win and the other person feels they can't win either because they're like, look, I've told you this before, MD. I, I don't like this and we can't seem to get past this. Sometimes you can hit an impasse with gaming groups or anybody else. And, you know, I don't know. And I, I'm not there. I'm not going to cast blame or anything like that because I don't know specifically what happens, right? I'm not there. I don't know all the players. But I think by taking the time to talk and to discuss it with the people uh, in the group and try to figure out what, you know, what, what could be done differently, my concept of a counterpoint, I found that has helped me, like I said, just to make sure that I'm coming up with all the alternate concepts instead of everyone behind the bar is um, – you know, a fat balding, uh, you know, l- l- late middle aged guy who runs the tavern. Right. <clears throat> Change it up. Next bar, somebody different. There's two bartenders. There's two or three um, bar um, barmaids or men serving or whatever you have. Just changing it up a little bit, or even if it's um, so. Anyway, that's that. That could be an idea. Uh, to skip to the other the other one at the back end, when a guy at a game store making a rape joke at a female customer, when you Man. tell him it's not cool. And the woman that yells at you. you. Right. Yes. Screw this is not the woman and the guy. It's not. Yeah. Like, this is you yeah. saying that's not cool. If the woman doesn't care, if she right. says you're presuming I'm weak, say, no, I'm not. My, no. this is Brett's advice. I have had that happen to me. And I've had a woman say, are you saying I can't? I said, no, what I'm saying is I think that shit's offensive. and I don't want to hear it. If right. you're cool, if you two are cool with it, please take it somewhere else. Yeah. Because that, the conversation, yeah. yeah, the yeah. conversation is offensive to you. I am not stepping in to save the woman. I'm not stepping in to save the man. I am simply saying that this conversation in a public game store is unacceptable, and I won't have it. I'm saying that's offensive, and like, what? That's not cool. What do you mean it's not cool? And if she's mad, like, look, this is me. I'm just telling you, I'm not cool with rape jokes. Take it somewhere else. If you two want to have rape jokes, go outside. Go. Go go rape joke the crazy outside not my thing, yeah, um, and then defend yourself. It's this it, however you want. Yeah, care, you at know? that point you're 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 not there to save her. Um, what you're there is saying, look, dude, that's not cool. If nothing else, people who people need to start to understand when you say that that person will wow someone was offended by me and it wasn't a woman, it wasn't a mom with two kids, it wasn't a grandmother, it was this guy. Who said, dude, not cool. 
sometimes um, from my discussions with my wife and other women I've known and and, uh, and people kind of around this type of topic where people have said sometimes a person who feels uncomfortable will um, like in this instance, I am absolutely guessing here, 100 percent guessing it's conceivable that she reacted in the only way that she knew how and that she was actually grateful. Right. She may have not wanted the joke. She may have acted cranky at you to show power or to that's just how she reacts. Some people react oddly, strangely, um, or what may appear odd or strange to you or I from the outside. Um, So it's not I would never take it as that she's uh, she's a bitch or she's lashing out at me or, oh, my God, what, what the fuck is wrong with her? That's however she reacts is how she reacts, however he reacts. But it's about you making a statement that I do not think this is cool and you don't get to talk about this around me. Right. If my wife was in the store, my wife would have looked at him and said, that's not cool. I would have said that's not cool. You know, not because you have you two, a man and woman are having this discussion about rape. No, it's not fucking cool because I don't want to hear about it out loud in a gaming store. Yeah. And I'm not I'm not defending somebody's honor. While I'm standing there, I don't want to hear the bullshit. That's not called for, and it's not appropriate. Yeah, it's not appropriate at all. I mean, think about the other people around the store who have to hear this and deal with this crap. It's just not not acceptable. If it makes you uncomfortable, you don't have to listen to that crap either. I got another comment before we wrap up this email. Go ahead. Look, all you assholes out there that are freaking death-threatening people, cut that shit out. It's not freaking called for. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, absolutely. I mean, death threats. I, I mean, come on, give me a freaking break. Yeah, what the fuck? Uncalled for. Absolutely uncalled for. You Poor get pissed shit. off at somebody. You get pissed off at somebody. Unblock them. Don't don't follow them. Don't associate with them. Whatever the case is, if you want to debate something, fine. But death threats makes no sense to me. What so damn ever? No, I don't get that either. I don't either. I just I don't get it. Like I wouldn't. I don't even know where somebody gets that nerve to like vomit that shit up where they're going to wish somebody death. Yeah. I wish you would just die. Give me a fucking break. Yeah. What is wrong with you? Anyway, got my blood boiling. (laughs) Next one. Um, So MD, I hope that the, uh, the bits we threw out there, I hope that was helpful. Honestly, if MD, if you want to talk, about if you want to talk about that differently or whatever, feel free to email Sean or I. I, you know, I mean, if sometimes it helps to bounce things off of other people. And even if you I'm not saying Sean and Brett have the answers, but sometimes it helps to bounce things off of other people, which is why Sean and I are saying talk to other folks in the gaming group and um, see if you can come to some kind of an understanding because uh, some group. Yeah, go ahead, Brett. No, I was going to say sometimes internalizing it, agonizing on it yourself without any sounding board without anyone uh can be difficult so i'd encourage you to to keep talking and keep telling people when you hear shit like that that's not cool and uh on behalf of the rest of decent humanity md i apologize that you've had death threats because that is as sean said total horseshit it is uncalled for all right next bit excellent show guys as one of your two female listeners that responded to the survey at least yay (laughs) yes i can definitely attest to the fact that gaming has often been a vast landscape of white, nerdy dudes. When I started gaming, it was in the mid-80s, and what I saw back then was even more homogenous. Seeing another woman or someone of a different ethnicity at a con was something of note. Honestly, if I hadn't been so incredibly stubborn and so in love with the hobby, I probably would have stopped playing a long time ago, which is very unfortunate. That's Brett's no, that's, note on the that's side. What that's what we're getting at. Yeah, we got to stop that. 
goes on to say, I have female friends that don't go into game stores unless they're vetted, unless they vetted it enough <laughs> to know it's a safe place. Other female friends will attend cons, but don't play games unless they know the GM and know the GM will shut down creepy players. Heck, one friend even had a con engagement ring, quote unquote, she would wear so to more easily shut down getting hit on. I'm glad you guys in the misdirected mark guys tackled the subject. I've been carefully watching the Gamergate debacle for some time, worried that some of the vitriol may spread into my pen and paper part of nerddom. Uh, the more people are willing to stand up to the assholes and redirect the misinformed, the better off we're going to be. Well, thank you, ma'am. I appreciate that. That's uh, that. That's what Sean I wanted to try to do, and I know the guys at Misdirecting Mark were doing the same. As we've said, we come from our privileged position. We know this, and I want to be better. I want to be more inclusive. I want to make sure that people are having fun in my hobby. And uh, I think I, uh, I'm glad that you feel comfortable enough to continue to listen to us um, and that you uh, felt uh, felt comfortable enough to send us the, the kind words there. So thank you. And the information you had as well around um, women having to vet game stores to know their safe places, having to wear con engagement rings just to get people to back off on you. That's the type of shit that, you know, when I see that stuff, I, I try to say, stop, stop it, stop it, right? That's the same thing as the rape joke in the store. I don't like it. I'm going to tell you it un- makes me uncomfortable. Please stop doing it. So anyway. Yeah, that's a really unfortunate thing to hear. Yeah, it's very unfortunate. Now, having said that, um, I wanted to mention, too, Happy Jacks touched on it. They had their B team in on one episode. Their B team is not Stu and Jib and stork which is their their regular lineup so the guys that were on there um we're talking about this came up as a like a brief snippet because there was a an incident they get these gamer horror stories that people write in and talk about and then they kind of um bring it up and one of them happened to be i can't remember the details but i believe it was all a lot of sexist and one of the things they mentioned was just at a con if you had one of those things that were under a badge where it was like safe or whatever you call it. Um, but they were just talking about some type of kind of logo or something that you could put on a con badge or a table like placard or even at game stores that would just kind of everybody would be able to just notice it and understand what it meant. And you would be like kind of like the safe place. I think there's like safe place for kids, right? It's kind of like this establishment doesn't allow X. We stand right. for we stand for this thing. We won't we will not tolerate this other thing. Yeah. Well, growing up, did you have helping hand? I think a helping hand was a thing growing up with us, Brett. Do you remember that? Vaguely. So you'd have this hand thing sitting in your window. Like if you want if you wanted to and you wanted like kids, it would be a safe place for kids if they were walking home and somebody came by like in a van. Uh, and it started being creepy. Um, and there was a house with this little yellow sign with a black hand in it. You could run to that house as kind of a safe haven. Oh, got it. Okay. Yeah. And I think it's something to that effect, which I thought was kind of interesting. Interesting but, idea. I don't know if it'd take off, but huh. So Anyways. we had a couple, uh, <clears throat> a couple other folks had written in. One of them was just a, a quick snippet saying, thanks for saying what needed to be said, guys. That was awesome. Thank you very much for taking the time to tell us that. That's It's really cool to hear. Paul M. commented on the website and said, you did a really good job with this episode. It's a tough subject, but we all have to work together to cut out this cancer that is ruining so much of the hobby. Thanks for talking about it. And then um, 
to kind of step back a little bit, we had um, we had Carl Kiesler had uh, stepped up and talked about a Western RPG. We're totally stepping back to episode uh, 83, where we had a question around aces and eights. And um, Carl Kiesler, we've got a link out there. It's called Sidewinder uh, Recoiled. Um, and Carl says, after listening to the latest episode, great job, by the way. So that was 84. He liked that. He, uh, he heard us talking about the Wild West RPG, Aces and Eights, and wonder if there was any other Western games out there, because Sean and I had asked about that. He was here to say, yes, there is, and he worked on it. That's the Sidewinder Recoiled. So Mr. Carl Kiesler has worked on that one. Um, Sidewinder Recoil is a game made by me and my friends at Doghouse Rules. I did the layout, covers, and art direction. The other guys are the real brains and did all the writing and editing. We even won a golden any for it back in the day for best electronic product in 2004. Yes, very, very cool. Says that was right on the cusp of the great PDF boom. They partnered up with Green and Ronan and had published in a softback under their Mystic Vistas line. You can still find the book for sale here and there. We have multiple supplements for the game, like an entire western town that uh, statted up and mapped. Uh, they called Frontier Towns Fort Griffin. And we have a little RPG zine that we called the Fort Griffin Echo, based on an old 1880s newspaper layout. Three adventures for the Wild West under our Buckshots line, and even an NPC supplement called Six Guns. The game uses the D20 modern rules. Shows how long ago that we did this. <laughs> That's true. It was a while back. And it's a straight-up Wild West book. No weird stuff like in Deadlands. We did get the Savage World license and converted our Buckshots adventures for that system. We have currently been in a long hiatus, but hopefully we can get back into producing more games. So just wanted to throw that out there for Wild West RPGs. Keep up the great work on the podcast, and uh, we will have a link in the show notes. Uh, there's some free downloads out there for uh, the Doghouse Rule guys, so take a look. Good stuff. Yeah. We got one more? You read that one. One more. One more. Hawk Sparrow. On today's podcast, it's always good to talk about this topic, so going back to... <laughs> to that of inclusion. Mm-hmm. The biggest opportunity for us is to speak up when we see someone crossing the line. I prefer pulling folks aside and addressing whatever issue one-on-one. Usually public humiliation, although it may scratch some emotional itch, usually negates the learning that may happen for the person who needed counsel. Also, inclusion should cover age as well as gender, preference, race, etc. Cheers. So Hawk kind of echoes what uh, Corey brought up around the whole yeah. <clears throat> concept of kids as well. So, well, you may think old too. Yeah, no, that, he, that's a very good point. I mean, you and I, Brett, and say, "Hey, easy on those old guys." I mean, don't don't call them old. I mean, <laughs> that's possible too, right? Nobody, nobody, you know, everybody's offering me a cane, and that's that may not be cool. That's because you're limp. No, Sean doesn't limp. I'm kidding. People have never met Sean. They'll see, they'll see, this, see this old man limping down the hall there. Everybody, thanks for writing in. We appreciate it. Um, and we did, we've gotten plenty of folks that were like, yeah, good episode. Glad we, mm-hmm. you brought it up. So thanks for joining the team and going in the right direction. Absolutely. And just so folks know, we are not going to belabor the topic. Obviously, we, we set our piece. We uh, It's important to us. It may very well come up again in future shows as far as, you know, good ideas or advice or ways to help do it or improve things or things that Sean and I have seen or heard about. But um, don't we're still we've got a lot of other stuff to cool stuff to talk about, you know, so I just don't want to won't be serious all the time. But I think as uh, to kind of put a bow on that one, Sean, and I both felt very strongly about it and we really wanted to take the time 
to put in on it. So thank you all for letting us indulge that. And uh, Sean, we ready? Counting coop. What's this counting coop? Coo. There's no P. It's coo. Counting coo. There's P in there. I know it's silent, you jackass. There's there's P in there. <laughs> <laughs> and we've gone right back to our old methodology already. So a while back, I believe it was, now I'm going to forget myself, Faithful Mike had asked about uh, something I'd mentioned offhanded. And just so, <clears throat> hey, just so you know, we only have five minutes to talk about this. Whatever. <laughs> just <kidding. laughs> I'll take what it takes. Go ahead, man. Bitch. So a while back in my uh, world of Avalon, the guys ran into a lizard man. It actually uh, was actually Gator Man, and he lived in the sewers of the massive city. And this Gator Man had a. Uh, it was a. So they encounter him. The the PCs do, and he has this thing where he's challenging the strongest looking fighter in the group to single combat. And they're like, all right, this will be great. We'll judge the whole thing. It'll be single combat. We'll win. We'll get what we want out of this. It'll be great. Well, through the process, this massive alligator man is counting coup. And counting coup is a Native American thing that was done where you would get close enough to your opponent to touch them. Either with a coup stick, they would have sticks you would whack them with or tap them with or even barehanded. There's stories about certain people counting coup on bears. I shit you not walking up and slapping a black bear or a grizzly bear on the ass and then escaping. People have been eaten doing that, um, or at least savagely mauled. Anyhow, what this what this big gator man was doing was counting coup on this big tough fighter in this big open sewer area in Avalon. The fighter's like trying desperately to hit him. He's hitting him and doing damage, but the gator man's whole thing was boom tap, boom tap, and he's using the flat of his axe just to tap this fighter. And every time it happens. The other Gator men, the the bad guys, if you will, are just roaring and cheering that this is great. And every time the fighter from the player side lands a blow and draws blood, he gets booed and hissed because clearly he doesn't know how to fight. That's not what man. That's not what one on one combat is, because that was a cultural thing. So <laughs> that's so what happened was I wanted to introduce a group of NPCs that the party could, that was very physical and aggressive and all that stuff. But I didn't want it to be just another batch of monsters in a sewer of a city that you would have to kill or beat them down, take prisoners, the usual rigmarole. They got a taste of the culture. And after a certain point, the Gator man backs off, raises his hand after I determined it was six rounds of combat was how long it would go. And he, turns his back on the on the player character and looks to the crowd and you know says basically who won you know who had the, who scored the greatest points and the players are just befuddled they don't know what the hell just happened and then someone goes oh my god he's counting coup son of a bitch i had no idea they did that and it became a mechanism that that was how you gained honor and that was how you proved that you were a mighty warrior i didn't have to kill you all i had to do was touch you and prove to you i could have slain you but i chose not to I was in close enough. I could have taken your life. I chose not to take your life. And you, by hacking me with your sword and desperately trying to do this, you're clearly not a very good warrior. The best you could do, you can't You can't pull your blows. You can't control yourself. You're clearly not a good warrior. So, <laughs> kind of short, the reason I did it was I was trying a different 
a different approach to combat. And other people have talked about this before too, but combat can be just as effective, in my opinion, as moving plots, development of characters, development of settings along as anything else. You can you can drop clues, all sorts of cool things. And combat isn't just a break from the actual plot line. Like, well, we have to go here and get X from the kobolds, which means I have to go kill all the kobolds in order to get the thing. No, it doesn't, it doesn't have to be like that. The combat's not just another... It's not like every adventure has one, two, three combats, another clue. One, two, three combats, a third clue or whatever. Combat can be a cool thing that you can introduce a lot of different cultural pieces, NPC goals, initiatives, concepts, and uh, you can drop a lot of clues in that way, too, just for the overall plot line. Sean, what does that make you think? It is an interesting thing that I've never encountered in a role-playing game, Brett. Yay, it's new. That I know of. I mean, I guess there's, I'm trying to think of maybe if there was ever a situation where maybe there was a higher level baddie and would just mess with you. Like they could probably take me out at any minute, but chose not to because they were so higher. Yeah. They were so much higher level that by just coming in with a strong arm and way lay wasting the party or my player character would be just too easy. Mm -hmm. So maybe it's one of those. So that type of thing from a clue perspective indicates that this NPC has a level of confidence, arrogance, or a mixture of all, or he looks down disdain for the person he's combating. He doesn't feel this person's worth anything, right? If you've ever seen the Presidio with Sean Connery, I'm going to kick your ass with this thumb. I'd use the left one, but it's far too powerful. He then proceeds to beat the shit out of the barroom bully using his right thumb. Um, <laughs> been a long time since I seen that movie, but it's that it's that concept, right? That tells you that scene tells you a lot about Sean Connery's character. So if you have a, so let's think about other kind of alternate. So counting coup is one of those things that culturally, from a cultural perspective, you don't know what that is. If your player character's never seen it before, this huge gator man the size of an ogre comes up and taps you on the side of your head. You know, he's not even trying to do subdual damage. He's coming in and just touching you to prove that he can moon him. just to moon, moon him. Yeah, to do the, do the Scottish thing. Stand on the hill, lift your kilt. There you go. Oh, pants him. Pants, pants him. him. <laughs> Pull down his pants. Yeah. So there's other types of kind of I'm dubbing it alternative combat. Sean, have you ever had a, a duel in one of your games where people are dueling? You know, two people. I you, sir, and I shall meet at the first first dawn swords, whatever. God. You ever done that? Man, I'm going to feel like I haven't played in a game before <laughs> after this this episode. I can't remember. Oh, man. I honestly don't know. I can't remember when the last time there was a, a duel a duel at dawn or So sunset. when I started running city campaigns, can't, long-term campaigns in a city, especially when you've got nobility and stuff, people are dueling, you know, and when you're rapiers crossing back and forth type of thing. And I know there's game systems out there that probably do this better than I was doing. At the time, I was using either GURPS or D&D or Pathfinder or whatever I happen to have. I have done this in other games, too. But we would... Star uh, Wars. Star Wars. Yeah. Star Wars, man. Episode one with Darth Maul. Obi-Wan and Kwai Jin. They're like, we got this. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They go one-on-one. Well, two-on-one. 
But if you yeah, do, man. if you duel like until and you set a rule like until first blood is drawn, or that's considered a win in a social in a social structure that your player characters may be new to. You've encountered this city. Um, you're there. You've someone's angered a noble. It's swords at dawn. Great, you show up. Each person gets a beautiful custom rapier, and all right, at it. Whatever. I'm skilled in rapier, says the bard. I'll go. And the other guy comes in. He wins initiative, and he cuts you. And the, he puts his blade down, says, I've won. Honor's been satisfied. And he walks off. And you're like, what? What's that about? <laughs> exactly. You know, what's this about? Until first blood. It was all about first blood. You didn't You didn't choose to defend yourself properly. Oh, I, uh, I, I thought we were just dueling to the death. No, no, no. Duel to the death. How barbaric. O- okay. Some of those social different components or way people approach things is different. And it's a really nice, in my opinion anyway, a nicer, fun different twist on how you introduce the players to the setting. Cause the characters, if they're new to the setting or the players don't quite get it, um, doing that type of a twist. Now you mentioned, you know, the bad guy who doesn't want to come in and just lay waste to the entire party. Right. Yeah. They got a monologue. First. <laughs> yeah. They got a monologue first. Right. I've had it where I have had foes go full defensive, you know, where they get the biggest armor class bonus type of thing they can get in whatever system I'm using and they won't hurt you. They just refuse because this person has sworn off of violence. or this person is only here specifically to keep you busy while something else happens. So your barbarian or whomever is just going fucking bananas, trying to kill this guy. And he's just block, 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 parry, 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 block, block. Ooh, one hit. No big deal. He takes a quarter damage because of this, that, or the other thing. And doing that tells you a lot about the foe. He's willing to sacrifice something. If the players have never encountered this before, they'd be like, what is going on? What's happening? Are the characters looking around? Are they trying to see what else is happening in the dungeon corridors or what else is happening in the, in the halls of the castle or whatever it is that this battle is happening? What else is going on that these foes aren't fighting back? You know, <clears throat> what are the, what's logic or reason behind that? And sometimes it's just something as simple as somebody wants to keep you busy, you know, and not get killed. They're just going to keep you busy until a certain time that you've either worn yourself out. Um, some games would have uh, exhaustion type of thing after long, long bouts of combat. You get very, very tired. If the person has a better endurance than you, uh, when I used to play Amber Diceless, this was a thing people would do, would just go defensive and let someone appear to win for a very long time and then pull a Princess Bride. I'm not left-handed either. And then they take it to them <clears throat> like, oh, shit, 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 shit. This is not good. This is not good. I'm, I'm outmatched. Um, and that, again, to me, is just it takes a it takes a twist. And a lot of it either introduces new setting, um, setting information, cultural information, you know, that goes into this group of people or even NPC pieces. So, Sean, what do you think? I, I just babbled a lot there. What is that? What does that bring to your mind? I think that's pretty cool, man. I might have to incorporate some uh, some counting coop in my <laughs> role playing games. It's fun. It is. It's kind of a kind of. I'm gonna mess with them and tease them and screw around with them. Yeah, it's kind of the the cat playing with the mouse type of thing, right? Yeah, that's my style. How come I haven't done this like in every game I've <laughs> I've run in the last five years? <laughs> I've been missing out. What the hell? The other, um, the other thing I have done from a just a different combat style is 
when I've had that, the group of players that have decided that they're going to fight, they think this is the bad guy. And he's like, look, I don't want to fight you. And he's giving all the verbal cues, all the physical cues, like hands up. Look, says the old man. I'm not, we're not here. All I have is a staff. I'm not looking to do anything. I just want to talk. No, God damn it. And you have that player who decides that, nope, I'm going to cut off the old man's head. I want the, I want the five XP because I think I'll level up or whatever the reason is. And then if the man doesn't want to fight, he has superior skill or he fights in an unorthodox manner. So I'll take it so that what I will do then is the person is using every trip technique he can, knocking them back, pushing them away. He's not actually harming them. He's just knocking them down. Right. So if you've ever done martial arts, judo, anything like that, if you take a person, you throw them to the ground. If they boom, you hit the ground wrestling and anything like that, they're, they're down. They have to get back up. Right, unless you're right on top of them grappling like, like a madman or something. But the point is, fight, 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 thud, wham, the fighter lands. The peasant is standing there with a staff going, dude, I told you I didn't want to fight. Of course, everyone goes, oh, peasant with a staff, he's a secret ninja. Okay, maybe that's the case. Or maybe it's another a, a warrior. There was a story that there, um, that there was an ancient uh, Japanese sword master. I can't remember if it was Kensai or whomever it was. I can't recall offhand. But he would use a wooden sword to beat people. It wouldn't kill them. You just beat the crap out of them and say, back off. I told you I didn't want to fight anymore type of thing. I've, re- I've retired. Um, so as a way, when you have a player character, who's like, I'm going to kill him. All right, fine. You're old ahead. He's dead. Great. You just killed the plot hook. You just killed something or other. If that person has a way or an unorthodox method to approach combat, like a counting coup, which is very unorthodox in a traditional D and D setting, it throws the player and the characters around you for a loop. And when it's different, good players will pay attention and go, okay, something's different here. There's a reason for this. And other than just interesting components to me anyway, around personality, the person you're fighting, um, the way the culture operates or the way the city has certain rules around letting uh, bloodletting and so forth. Um, it also is what you've mentioned about the monologue. The cool part about monologue is that when <clears throat> you're fighting the bad guys and the kobolds scream something to a pack of kobolds behind them just before combat is engaged and two kobolds go running for the door. Everyone's like, "What? what's that about? What's going on, right? They're running for the big gong. They want to hit something. That's the very obvious one. But you're fighting a bunch of um, whomever the bad guys are and they fight for a certain point and you can hear them. They're saying five more minutes or all we have to do is this or whatever it is. Those verbal cues, you dropping clues. You can drop hints. You can drop ideas of what's beyond the next door. You know, hold the line for another half hour. That type of statement. Like, okay, what the fuck happens in a half hour? What's, what's happening in a half hour? Is there an ogre coming up or what happens from there? So those are some of the types of verbal things I've done in fights similar to counting coup where um, it's unorthodox and it makes the person who's involved in the combat go, what the hell is going on right now? And again, instead of it being just yet another fight to the death, especially in D and D it becomes a fight to something, a fight for information, you fight that leads to information or yes, I was, I lost face to the Gator Man. Now I know how to beat a Gator Man. Next time, I'll challenge one to single combat. I'll count cool on the motherfucker, and that'll be the end of that stuff because I'm better at this than he is. I just I didn't realize that was the game I was playing, you know. 
All right. I'm talking a lot here, Sean. What do you think? Good, bad? <laughs> no, I think it's got potential, man. I think I'm going to implement it in every, in every uh, campaign that I run from here on out. Okay. I think you're, Star Wars <laughs> you're, you're, you're kissing my, you're kissing my ass here. You just don't know what to tell me. <laughs> no, I think there's, uh, I think it's an interesting uh, dynamic that isn't always um, explored. And I think it would be a good and interesting. Like even in, um, I could see it doing like, you know, points or, you know, having one person not understand the rules of a combat and the, they'll think it's like, I'm supposed to kill this person. Wow, it's not they, they don't win anything or they don't get any points if it's to the death it's how many points they score by touching the individual or putting a mark on their body. Yeah. As a part of disgrace more yes. than anything. Like, hey, see that guy over there? See that scar on his eye? I put it there. See that scar on his arm? I put that there too. You know, I mean, just you know, flick 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 the ear. Yeah. All the time. He he <laughs> yeah, l- l- look what I can do with impunity. You can't stop me. I can do this all day. Yeah. <clears throat> oh, pe- I like it. I like it. Yeah. The other thing I like to do with this is then take it to social interactions. So when you're, if you're doing a courtly thing, this happened a lot in Amber and in my vampire games back in the day is when you're, people are, a lot of it is banter. You're trying to get clues from people. You're acting very courtly. You're trying to figure out what the next big plot is or whatever's going on. And, there are that in a way is also kind of a an unorthodox combat and some game systems out there probably do this better than others. But just the, the concept that a social interchange, as we all know, could leave someone very disgraced. If they if they do poorly in an open debate in court, they may look the fool. Um, he or she could end up looking very foolish in front of another person. And that, you know, they're trying to talk to this noble lady and she just makes them look like a bunch of jackasses. Now they're disgraced. None of the other, other nobles will talk to them, right? Or they're working, and they're working this noble lady, trying to get her to talk. They say something that's offensive. Slap, her glove comes off. She points at a fighter or whomever and says, you, Dawn, swords. Okay, now you've got to fight this woman, and you're drug out there. And <clears throat> if you don't know the rules, perhaps she's a very good swords. She's a very good swords fighter. She's awesome. She's there. She understands the rules. She comes in and cuts you. And then she backs off thinking I've won because to the first blood, you run her through. And suddenly, you know, your character is, you know, arrested. It's this horrible thing. Shame upon you and your house forever. And every it's this huge uproar because you dared to kill this person. Well, she was trying to kill me. No, she wasn't. It was a duel, you jackass. It was first blood. She cut you. She won. How dare you fight back? And even if you don't kill her, if we were to have wounded her badly enough, she now has this huge vendetta against you because of everything you did. It's just, it's to me, it's, it's fun, different ways to twist combat and make it worth more than just another life or another fat, juicy wad of soft, squishy experience points to go for. Right. Yeah. Right. Dude, I'm with you. All right, cool. Well, that was that was pretty much what I had from a county coup perspective. I just wanted to, I, I was asked to talk about a little bit more, and I wanted to throw out there kind of what I did in that space. I'm sure other people have cool, fun ways to 
unorthodox in combat other than just grappling. Grappling it could be a whole other episode. That's kind of a, a different approach. But kind of in lieu of grappling, I started using these other components where you still have a regular to hit die and so forth. But the result isn't always damage. The result is sometimes simply a nick on the face or acoustic that taps you upside the head, you know, gaining points for the other person who knows the rules of the combat that you simply don't. It's fun. Right. Yeah. So if you count coop. <laughs> I'm just going to slap you. Let coop. us know. Let us know. Email us at, at gamingnbs at gmail.com. Come to GameWolcon and watch me count coop on Sean all day long as I slap him about the head and neck with a wet fish. Yes. That's true. Let's get into die roll. Two to four miscellaneous points of gaming and geekery we want to share with you. Brett has two. I have three. Brett. Yes. So uh, newscientist.com, there's a um, link out there in the show notes. Is a huge never-before-seen lake spotted hiding under Antarctic ice. For anyone who has read um, Lovecraft or played Call of Cthulhu, we all know that somewhere buried under the Antarctic ice is... um, a nasty Squamish thing, um, a horrible place of Cyclopean madness, and uh, chances are they'll unleash some Shoggoths and we'll all be dead. But hey, at least you heard it here first, folks. Dude, it's The Thing, man. Jar- John Carpenter. That too. That movie rocked. I've not seen that movie. I need to see that Are movie. you kidding I've me? I've not seen that serious? movie. I've not seen it. Oh, it's on, it's on like the list of shit I have to watch. I haven't seen it, but I've heard nothing but awesome. Oh, it's, I remember seeing that when I was a kid, man. That thing just was like, oh my God, is this for Did real? Did you see the remake or... Didn't they do a remake? Uh, no. Uh, well, there was one that was originally done. I mean, I don't know if it was the 50s or 60s. And then John Carpenter did it. And I don't know if they redid it since him, since okay. he did it. I, I thought there was one more recent. Anyhow. Yeah, it's Kurt Russell, man. Oh, okay. Well, then. The other one I have <laughs> is about a book collector who saves Timbuktu's national treasure. There's a librarian. Um, he saved this middle-aged book collector in uh, Mali helped save a number of the books and texts from the city's fabled libraries from a, a group of jihadists. Basically um, it's the, the article here states Al Qaeda. I don't know if that's, if it was all that particular group or not, but regardless the, the concept of librarians and people with this passion for books and secreting them away, hiding them, doing what they can to try to preserve all this great data. If you think um, when I ran my vampire games, the library in Alexandretta, when things burned or when this was destroyed and this great something was lost, um, you would have great vampire lords who would somewhere within their vast wealth would have this book that was one of the last that had come from there. You could do the same thing with uh, lich libraries and so forth, or even modern settings where somebody has all these ancient books that they've been in private collections and they've been traveling or taking them from place to place and what wonderful eldritch things are hidden within those pages. Good stuff. Sean, over to yeah, you, sir. I think, I think ISIS was certainly trying to do their damnedest to really mess up a lot of yeah. old ancient artifacts and artists, art. Yep. Works, works of art. Uh, mine rolling for initiative, uh, rolling for initiative, darn antiquated business model. Anyway, it's a, an article, I believe on ICV two, where they're talking about privateer press looking to axe online retailers and support the brick and mortar slash antiquated and broken business model. So somebody gets on there and says, Oh, 
there's a lot of outrage from the privateer press customers because they're saying, Hey, we wanted to buy things online and maybe it's cheaper. And, Oh, I see what they're doing. They're just going to throw it in the friendly local game store, which is a antiquated and broken business model. And so this person goes into saying, yeah, the broken antiquated business model that is, you know, been running at all time highs or whatever the case is. So it's kind of like saying, hey, the the game store is not dead article. So when Harley Davidson came back from the abyss back in the late 90s, early 2000s, one of the things that they still do now is that there you can go on their online website and you can look at a whole bunch of stuff, clothing, accessories, parts, and so forth. And a lot of it, they will not sell online. You can only buy it through their stores. They do that because Willie G. Davidson and the rest of the folks who took the company back over from the EMF years um, looked and said, the only reason people are still buying Harleys and are still, even through when we weren't making good bikes, is because of those dealerships. Those dealerships were there pushing our product and helping us out. So by God, we're going to make sure that we direct people towards those shops. So it's kind of, and that, now that's a different market, right? Uh, well, perhaps different. I mean, I can buy tires and stuff online for motorcycles and all sorts of bit, bits and pieces, but to, in this day and age for, uh, for gaming stores to, I mean, they're obviously not dead. We see them out and about. We've talked about this before in Madison. We're blessed that we have a number of them, but they're, We've also talked about how bad some of them are run, right? And how how they're not necessarily the best model. I don't, uh, I don't know. It's kind of goofy. It feels like there is a perhaps uh, time. I guess it's one of the things where time will tell. I'm I'm not. A, I don't have an MBA, so I don't know the good, the bad, and the ugly. And I don't work in this space too much. So we'll see what happens. I want to think that the model is not broken, but there are broken stores trying within the model. Yeah. Somebody somewhere sucks at their job, right? Somebody somewhere is doing right. is, is running a business that they have no business running because they're terrible at it. Right. So it's maybe not the model. It's just the freaking shitty FLGS store manager owner. Yeah. That right. doesn't understand how to run a business. Yes. And if you're not one of those, then great. Good on you. Awesome. <laughs> right. Sean Patrick Fannin shows off the Savage World Riffs covers for Savage Foes of North America, as well as the Player's Guide. Sean, were you ever a Riffs guy? I was not a Riffs guy. Jimmy, one of the guys that I game with, you've met. Yep, Jimmy talked about Riffs. Is a Riffs guy, and I've never played Riffs. I never got into it. I don't know much about it, other than it's based off the old AD&D stuff. And Palladium. Palladium. Yep. It's... Lots of you can play lots of different things, and the whole concept is my understanding is these different worlds kind of coming through these rifts. It has mega damage, man. I know mega, mega fucking mega damage, damage. <laughs> yeah, damage and mega damage. Yeah. I thought there was super mega damage. There, I, I don't know. I I never got into rifts. I had a couple of friends of mine that were huge rifts uh, fans. My buddy JR, uh, I think you've met yeah. JR. Uh, big riffs yes. guy, and I've played with him. When I played with him, was the only time I had fun with riffs. Every other time I played it, it was just a clustered mess. That back to the back to the business model is somebody, some game master somewhere sucks at his job. That's kind of what I was up against the previous times. JR is a good game master, so that helped. 
Anyway, they say they say Savage Worlds will be really interesting to port riffs too because riffs you can play lots of different things. Oh, the fucking power! Savage the Worlds power in riffs in that Palladium system is out of this freaking world. There's crazy power levels there. In Savage Worlds, some people have said that they don't think it's powerful enough. I don't know what that. I don't know what that means though. We'll see. Well, pardon me, tabletop dash art dot eu for dressing up your table maps and miniatures bases all your base belong to us check it out um i thought there was some cool stuff on there see if you're a miniatures miniatures nerd no that's very cool stuff yeah yeah cool oh we also had one from uh hawk sparrow yeah hawk sparrow pointed us to sten 10 sten 10 strange but fun village festivals over at RagingSwan.com. There's some pretty cool stuff out there. We talked about festivals and holidays a number of episodes back. If you can't remember what episode it is, you know what you do, Sean? You start at one and work your way back forward. Durr. Of course. But there's some cool stuff in here about like witch hunting, dead raising, river dunking, pig racing. There's some fun stuff in there. And this is the those types of uh, pieces that, similar to Counting Coup, can help make your uh, little game world come to life there. Pretty good stuff. Thank you, Hawk. Appreciate it, man. Yeah. Thanks, Hawk. Patrons, this show brought to you by patrons like Joe Swick, Kevin Lovecraft, Steve Day, Old School DM, Christian Sexy Voice, Serrano, Jeff Rodemacher, Forrest Gary, Fitz Directed Mark, Brett's Biggest Fan, Mark Anthony Benedetti, Tony Baker, Palladian, Corey Wynn, Bruce Cunnington, new patrons, Eric Jeppesen, Andy Hall, Sean Nicholson, and Tim Jensen. Consider becoming a patron of the show at gamingandbs.com forward slash Patreon. Otherwise, next episode, man, we're going to talk about table talk, PC and GM communications at the table. Should be kind of fun. Table talk. Exactly. Yes, table talk. Table talk. This is one of your hosts, Sean. And this is Brad. Good night, good game and all.